I want to invite you to come with me on an incredible journey. A journey which will take us to the deepest depths of pain and brokenness and sorrow and death. And also to the highest heights of hope and life and victory. The German philosopher Spinoza said of of today's text that he would have given up his whole system of thought to be able to believe what is written in this chapter. G. Campbell Morgan, a great preacher of the last century, told or, or called today's text one of the most wonderful of all of the records of our Lord's ministry. It's full of color and life and movement. In it, there are, is a remarkable merging of pathos and power. It has at once a threatening of sorrow and an anthem of victory. Before we get into the story itself, let me set the scene. Jesus has recently come into conflict with the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and they have tried to stone him there. So he has had to flee for his life to a place called Bethany beyond the Jordan. This is a place beyond the reach and the jurisdiction of the Jerusalem leadership where Jesus is safe. And in this place of safety, we read in today's story, Jesus gets a message. It's from two sisters who are close friends of his, Mary and Martha. They live in another Bethany. This is a little confusing, this story, because it's got two Bethanies. But the Bethany that they live in is in Judea, right near Jerusalem, in the place of danger, the place where Jesus is a wanted man. So the messenger comes from this dangerous Bethany to the other Bethany where Jesus is safe. It's from the sisters, and it's about their brother Lazarus. It says simply this, Lord, the one you love is sick. Notice what the message does not say. It does not ask Jesus to come. It does not ask Jesus to do a miracle to heal Lazarus. It simply says, The one you love is sick. Why? Well, because the sisters know that Jesus loves Lazarus. And they believe Jesus has the power to heal Lazarus. Jesus has healed so many other people. And so they assume if they let Jesus know, he will take care of Lazarus. He will come, he will lay his healing hands on him, or he will simply speak the word from where he is, and Lazarus will be healed. And they are right. Jesus replies, verse 4, this sickness will not end in death. But it turns out that this will not happen in the way anyone expects. Often Jesus' ways, God's ways, are not what we expect. That's why we struggle with our faith. And God's timing is not what we hope for. In fact, look what Jesus does, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They were right to bank on Jesus' love. But, verse 6, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, surprisingly, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus is not rushed to their side. He's not in a hurry. He does not act on his love, at least immediately. Why? Well, we'll have to wait and see, but we get a hint of what's to come in verse 4. Jesus says, 
This is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So Jesus waits. Jesus does nothing. One whole day passes. Then another whole day. Then finally, verse 7, Jesus says to his followers, let's go back to Judea. And the disciples can't believe it. Verse 8, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? They're, they're totally against the idea. To go back to Judea, to the other Bethany that's near Jerusalem, where the one Jesus loves lays sick, is to walk into certain danger and to risk Jesus' life. But Jesus won't be distracted or moved by the opinions of the people around him. He won't be rushed by the urgency of Mary and Martha's message. And he won't be dissuaded by the fears and concerns of his followers. He says in verse 9, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk in the daytime will not stumble. Jesus is pointing out here using metaphoric language, as he so often does, that his life will not end an hour sooner than God has given him. So Jesus can freely continue going about his father's business until his time is up. Jesus knows his identity. He knows who he is. Jesus knows his purpose. He knows what God has called him to do. And so Jesus can boldly and confidently walk in that, not rushed by urgent requests, not dissuaded by fearful concerns, just walking step by step in the will of his heavenly father. Oh, if we could learn to live like that. But Jesus' followers can't see it, at least not yet. So so Thomas says with resignation to the other disciples, verse 16, well, let's go along also that we may die with him. It's clear to everyone that in returning to Bethany, Jesus risks his life. But he loves Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and that love and his commitment to glorifying God lead him into harm's way. And so he goes back to Bethany near Jerusalem. And then we read in verse 17, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four years days. Four days. Let's do the math and and listen closely because this is important to the meaning of the story. If we take a map and look at it, we learn that it would have taken the messenger one full day to get from Mary and Martha to where Jesus was in Bethany beyond the Jordan. And it would have taken Jesus one full day to make the trip back to the Bethany near Jerusalem where Mary and Martha are. So that's two days. And yet Jesus waited two additional days to take the trip. So that's four days. This means that Lazarus died the day the messenger left to tell Jesus. Jesus couldn't have gotten there in time even if he'd left immediately. However, he could have been there two days after Lazarus' death, instead of fourth day, four days. And that may not mean too much to us, but that is key to understanding the story, and let me tell you why. Because the Jews at that time believed that the spirit of a deceased person hung around the body for three days after death. 
hoping for a chance to return. But on the fourth day, decomposition had increased in the heat of that climate, and the corpse's face had decomposed beyond recognition. The smell and the rotting had increased to the point that the body was deemed to be absolutely uninhabitable, and so the soul, it was believed, departed. By day four, in other words, all hope was gone. Now, normally, the moment someone died, all hope was gone. But even with Jesus in town, the great miracle worker, after four days in that culture's understanding, all hope was absolutely gone. It was impossible after four days for a dead person to be brought back to life. In other words, even after Jesus gets the message that the one he loves is sick, he waits. He waits for the darkness to deepen until all human hope has died. He waits until death is irreversible, until pain and grief have gripped those he loves. And then, only then, does he arrive walking into a place where his own life is also in jeopardy. Jesus walks into the place of death and danger and despair, into the darkest hour, anticipating that God will be glorified, that God will be shown to be all who God is in a new and brighter way. And when Jesus arrives, what does he find? Verse 20. Well, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, he, or she went out to meet him. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha must be angry. Because she knows how long it took the messenger round trip. She knows that Jesus is two days late. Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and he had healed so many others. Why couldn't he have been here to heal Lazarus? Where's her miracle? Have you ever felt that way? Why didn't Jesus even try? He, he could have at least been here by day two and, and maybe raised Lazarus before all hope had died. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Many, many good Jews believed, as, as we do that, and still do, that at the last day, God would raise the dead to eternal life. And, and Martha has good theology. She believes one day God will raise the dead. She, she has hope for the distant future for a better day, for a better age to come one day. But what she's about to discover to her utter surprise is that that future is showing up now. Showing up in the form of a person. She's about to discover that the resurrection and the new life of the future has arrived in person. Verse 25, Jesus says to her these astounding words, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Can you believe it? In the person of Jesus, the resurrection is present. The resurrection has arrived. That's what we celebrate this morning. Behold, Jesus, behold the resurrection, our resurrection and our life. Well, now it's Mary's turn to come to Jesus. Verse 29. When Mary heard this, that Jesus had arrived, she got up quickly and went to him. Then verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said the same thing Mary said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But unlike Mary, uh, Martha, Mary does not theologize. She just falls at Jesus' feet and weeps. When Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Here we see humanity in, in um, deep, moving anguish and sorrow. And Jesus is deeply moved with us. This word used to describe Jesus' reaction, it's a strong word. It usually suggests deep indignation. Literally, it's used to speak of a horse's snorting. The, the word is used to, of still waters which are stirred up and agitated by a storm. That's what's going on in Jesus. This is how Jesus feels along with us. He's arrived at the darkness, our darkness, Our place of grief, of death, of the utter hopelessness that comes after four days. This place of bitter anguish, of our deepest places, our lowest places of sorrow and brokenness. And Jesus is there with us. And he loves us there. And he shares the pain with us and he is deeply moved. Verse 34, where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, remember it's the four days the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Martha still, though she believes in the resurrection, she does not realize yet that the resurrection has come. That he's standing right beside her, ordering that the stone be rolled away. Isn't that so often like us? We, we ask Jesus for things, but then we get really surprised when he actually shows up and answers us. We somehow think the answers to our prayers are far off when in fact they are a person who's as close to us as breath itself. Verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took the stone away and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that, that you have heard me. I, I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus wants everyone to know that what he's about to do is not a parlor trick, but rather a sign to show them what is too good to be true and too hard to believe. 
that God has sent Jesus himself to be their resurrection and to be our resurrection. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Anyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. What a claim. What a revelation. What authority and power. Jesus merely speaks the word. He issues a command, and death leapt back into life, and Lazarus experiences resurrection. Can you see who Jesus is claiming to be and what he is demonstrating here? He is the bringer of the bright future that we long for, the agent of the age to come, of of the hope and the victory and the resurrection and the renewal of all things that we long for in the future. Come now, before expected, ahead of time, into our history, in person, to offer us that life and to let us experience that life now. There's so much in this story. There's so much more that that we don't have time to look at this morning. But let me just finish by reviewing again and highlighting two amazing revelations we get of Jesus here. They show us what Jesus is like and what God is like. First, with deep compassion, we see that Jesus joins us in the depths. In this story, he waits until day four, until the darkness has become utterly dark, until all hope is gone, until all is weeping and grieving. He waits to that point to show us that he will be with us even in that place. A place also where his own life is in danger. In fact, it won't be long until Jesus too tastes, until he too joins Lazarus in the grave, tasting death. Jesus willingly joins us in the depths. This is portrayed so well in C.S. Lewis's book, The Magician's Nephew, one of the Narnia Chronicles. In it, a boy named Diggory, who is magically transported from England to the land of Narnia, is brokenhearted because his mother back in London is very sick. And Diggory, through a course of events, has an opportunity to meet Aslan, the mighty, majestic, powerful lion of Narnia, who is the Christ figure in the story. And, and Diggory hopes that somehow he can get Aslan to help his mother back in London. Well, Aslan asks Diggory to go on a special errand for him. And here's what Lewis writes. Yes, said Diggory. He had had for a second some wild idea of saying, I'll try to help you if you promise to help my mother. But he realized in time that the lion was not at all the sort of person one could try to make bargains with. But when he had said yes, he thought of his mother. And he thought of the great hopes he had had and how they were all dying away and a lump 
came in his throat and tears in his eyes, and he blurted out, but please, please, won't you, can't you give something that will cure mother? Up till then, he had been looking at the lion's great feet and the huge claws on them. Now, in despair, he looked up at his face. And what he saw surprised him as much as anything in his whole life. For the great tawny face was bent down near his own, and wonder of wonders, great shining tears stood in the lion's eyes. They were such big, bright tears compared to Diggory's own that for a moment he felt as if the lion must really be sorrier about his mother than he himself was. My son, my son, said Aslan, I know grief is great. That is what we see in today's story. It's what Mary and Martha discover as they look into the compassionate face of the Great One, the face of resurrection itself. One of my favorite preachers, Daryl Johnson, put it so well. He says, running down the cheeks of Jesus of Nazareth are the tears of the infinite, incomprehensible, indivisible, but compassionate God. In a moment, he is going to wipe away all tears. But as long as there are tears, he will cry them with us. This is what we saw this past Friday on Good Friday as we remember Jesus' crucifixion, right? Jesus sharing our pain and shedding our tears with us. He waits four days to come until hope is utterly extinguished. And the darkness has become utterly dark. Jesus joins us in the depths to grieve with us. But second, in this story, we also see that Jesus leads us to the heights. That he is the resurrection and the life. He merely speaks the word, Lazarus, come out. And death is rolled back and life returns and resurrection takes place. The eternal life, the renewal of all things that we long for off in the future somewhere, wonder of wonders in Jesus spills into the present. And so in this story, John recorded for us in in his gospel, John says of Jesus, behold, your resurrection. And Jesus says to us, I myself am your resurrection. Martha believed in the doctrine of the resurrection. She believed, like many of us do, that one day in the future, at the end of time, God will raise up all his people and give them life again in his kingdom. No doubt other Jews who were there to console Martha, who believed with her, had comforted her with this fact. But the resurrection still seems far off, doesn't it? In our grief, in our struggle, we think, well, well, I, I can't wait for then. It, it doesn't help me now. Resurrection can seem so distant and so hard to touch and so elusive. The missionary and theologian Leslie Newbegin says it so well that in the midst of, of the weeping of that funeral, for Martha, the prospect of the universal resurrection of the last day is very cold comfort. 
Martha must learn, and Jesus must now show her that the last day has already dawned. That Jesus is himself, in his own person, the eschatos, the end, as he was at the beginning. Resurrection is no longer a mere doctrine. It has a living face and a name. Wow. Again, look at Jesus. Look into the face of the compassionate and the powerful God. And behold our resurrection. He stands before us and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Lazarus, come out. And death is swallowed up in victory. I can't promise you that in this very instant, Jesus will take away all your grief, all your pain, all your concern, all that has died. Sometimes he waits, even as he waited to go to Lazarus until the fourth day when darkness had deepened beyond all hope. And sometimes that's the way it feels for us. But I can promise that Jesus is the resurrection in his very person. Look at his face, tear-stained, but also full of life. Behold our resurrection. Behold the one who gives life. Draw close to him. Get to know him and see and taste the life that he offers. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts even as the tomb was opened on that day and allow us to see with our heart's vision what it is that you showed Mary and Martha and what it is that Lazarus experienced that day. Thank you that you join us in our grief and in our sorrow, that you are compassionate. Thank you also for your power and for the life you bring into our present circumstance, even as we wait for the final resurrection. Amen. If you'd like more prayer, you'd like to pray to the one who is our resurrection and someone to pray with you this morning. There will be um, several people in the lounge after the service. They'll be wearing lanyards today that signify them as part of our prayer team this morning, and they would be happy to pray for you. As we sing the closing song now, the kids will be coming around um, to hand out a reminder of what we're celebrating this morning, that Jesus is our resurrection and that he's alive. And we were trying to think of, of what represents that kind of hope, what represents the future that through Jesus is bubbling up into our present now. And what we came up with um, was light, right? Because light represents hope. So um, you're going to receive a light from the kids as we sing this last song. And when you use this light at night, let it remind you that even while we wait for day to dawn, when all seems dark, that Jesus is the light and Jesus is with us now and is light for us in the darkness. Let's respond and worship to him.